Well, welcome and thank you for listening to the Young Life Midlands podcast. We have some great seminars from our leader committee weekend, and this one is titled, I guess, the the temptations of being a young life leader are the top 10 reasons why you might quit in truth to counteract them. And so um, this is done actually by me, Alex Holroyd. So that kind of sounds weird introducing yourself, but I hope you enjoy. Here we go. Um, Hey, Lord, I I thank you for just bringing us in here. Uh, I, I pray that um, hey, what is not of you and what I say that everyone will forget real quick? And what is from you that everyone will remember for eternity? Um, Lord, I know how hard it is to lead and how many lies we get thrown our way. So I, I just pray, will your Holy Spirit, will you just come and rest here? Will you rest as we try to dive into what does it look like to lead? And what does it look like to leave when we are just assaulted on every corner? Um, so we love you. Give us wisdom. We pray this into your son's name. Amen. Amen. Keep going. Hey, isn't it funny when you pray, you feel like you have to stop? And it's like, you know, I have to keep walking in. I always think that. When you like walk into church late and there are guys praying and you're like in the, in the aisle like waiting. Why? You know, <laughs> you can walk. I always think that. Anyway. Um, okay. So let me give you a little bit more of a, if you're a note taker, I would, I, and I highly, highly encourage you to take notes. Because I'm going to throw scripture out, like, a lot. And so you might be like, uh-oh, like, what did he say? I didn't catch that. But here's what I'm hoping to do at the end of our time, is that I'm going to give us, like, two minutes that you will go. And I, I encourage you, if you don't do this already, maybe you've been taught this. I hope, I hope so. It's been awesome for me. Whenever you get done from anything, like, a, like any class or any, like, from your pastor or sermon or what John's talking about, Take 30 seconds, look through your notes, and just circle one thing. Because the worst thing that could happen is you come in here and you're like, man, that was good. The, he said a lot of things. said a lot of things. I don't remember one. So I want to give you time to like sit for a minute and circle one thing that you're going, if I learned anything and someone said, what, what was that guy talking about? It was this one thing. All right? So definitely take, take notes. Be a note taker because here's my hope. One day you're going to be doing this. Like, you're going to go give a campaign, just go give a club talk. Maybe, like, you're going Young Life staff, and you're going to go, like, man, what are some things that I just felt like I was falling into? Like, you're going to be doing this job one day, probably. So, like, it's just good to have resources. I wish I took more notes instead of had to recreate the wheel sometimes. So, um, hey, here, here's kind of the heart of, of, of what we're going to talk about. If you guys remember, like, what was the first thing that happened? I, I don't know how we're going to do a Q&A in here, but we're going to try. Hey, what was the first thing that happened to Jesus when he was called the beloved son? And he said, I'm, you are my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. What immediately happened afterwards? Anybody know? Yeah, taken to the desert and what? Tempted. It's like, all right. Like, how many of you guys are new leaders? Raise your hand. New leaders. Okay, great. How many of you guys are career leaders? Like you're adults. Awesome. Just quit. This is going to be good, too. Anyone guys, um, probably not Young Lives. Anybody Capernaum? Young Lives? Come on, Young Lives. Capernaum? Wildlife? Wildlife? All right. Young Life? All right. Yeah, everybody. College Life? All right. Come on. All right. That is so great. Um, hey, this is the best part, especially if you're new. You get really excited to go be a Young Life leader. You're like, I can't wait to go attack the world. And then, like, your first year, you feel like you just get punched in the face. 
Like Mike Tyson has this funny quote that says, everyone's got a strategy until they get punched in the face. That's what it felt like to be a Young Life leader. I remember being a sophomore going, I do, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, we're gonna reach this school for Jesus, right? Like I can't wait. And then I go into like, you know, you go into your first football game and the seniors like, who's that loser? And you're like, dude, I'm in college. I'm, I'm cooler than you. No, I'm not. Okay, no, I'm like hanging out with the freshman guys, and they're like, are you a freshman? You're like, no, no, no. Okay. And it just goes downhill real quick. And then, you know, you start believing, like, all these lies about you. You're like, I was, this was the wrong decision for me. And, and the longer you get in this, the problem is, like, you just start believing a little bit more. And, and then your fellowship, which was supposed to be uplifting, becomes comparison, you know? And so I, I just wanted to say, here are the ten things that I am tempted with every single year. So you might be able to relate to these and be like, dude, yes, like I do that. If not, this is just I struggle with and I need to go to Jesus. Because he, here's the thing. If we don't go to Jesus, like we just go to something else, like it's not going to fix it. And I love that when, Je- when Jesus was tempted, what did he do? Do you guys remember? He just quoted scripture back. In fact, when you read Ephesians 6, um, it says the sword of the spirit. It's the only offensive weapon we have. And so to know scripture, I, I would encourage you, if you guys don't memorize scripture, memorize scripture. This guy said this, it was so wise, a guy named Tim Brown. He said, if you, if you read scripture, you own it. If you memorize it, it owns you. Telling you is the best thing you can do. So here are the top 10, and I'm going to go, here's my temptation. Here's what I struggle with. Here's scripture that I hope that counteracts that. You guys ready? Let's do this. All right, here we go. Um, number one. Or number 10, however you want to say it. Here's the temptation you will feel. You begin to look horizontally from others where you've already seen vertically from God. All right, so you begin to look horizontally for your worth, for your affirmation, for how good you are, what you've already received vertically from God. If this hasn't happened to you, it will. You will real quickly go and look at club numbers or like, after a club talk, you're going to go to your team leader and go, did I do good? Was I good? Did I do great? No, I didn't do great. Like your, your, your heart is going to go, am I, am I good enough? And you're not going to ask that to him. You're going to ask that to other people. Here's a great scripture uh, to, to, to go with that. It's 1 Corinthians, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 4. And it says this. <laughs> this is Paul. I love this. I care very little if I'm judged by you. <laughs> this is a great line. I don't care what you think of me. That's like uh, counseling 101. Don't let other people say it. Then he says, I don't care if I'm judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but it does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. And I love that. He just says, guess what? I don't let other people tell me what to do. I, don't, I mean, not, not prideful like that. I don't let them tell me who I am. But then he pauses and he says, I don't even let myself tell me who I am. Right, like counseling says, don't listen to other people. Don't let them tell you who you are. Like, go tell them that like, you're good. And the problem is, like, I'm not good. So I can't look in the mirror and say, you're good enough. Like, you're great. Like, I'm lying to myself, right? He says, I don't even care what I think of myself anymore. I care only what God says. In this case, it says judges, which sounds like that sounds a little scarier because, like, he knows me more. What does God think of you? Real quick, what would you say? He's crazy about you. How do we know that? The cross, right? Like we go to the cross and you go, what does he think of me? Oh, he died for me. Like while I was broken, he died for me. Not because you were given an awesome club talk, right? So this reminder, here's a great story. There's this violinist um, in New York City and uh, she was really great. 
violinist, you know, she's the first chair. And, uh, and a critic asked her, or it was like a newspaper asked her, hey, how do you deal with the fact of the applause at night and in the morning you read the newspaper and you have to deal with the critics just going, you know, tearing you apart? And she says, man, it was hard. Like, my heart would go up and down. Like, I'd be like, yeah, I'm doing it. Oh, I'm the worst. I'm the worst. Oh, yeah, I'm doing it. Oh, I'm the worst. Um, and he said, well, how did you fix that? This is the wisest thing that I've ever heard. He said, I stopped listening to the applause. And I stopped listening to the critic. I looked only to my conductor because he was the one who knew how to play. Guys, if you get anything right there, like, stop listening to the applause of people in young life. Like, we'll applaud you like, oh, man, you're such a gifted speaker. Go do it again. Or we'll kill ourselves because we feel like a loser in a school lunchroom. And he's going, look only to the conductor. Look to God who's looking down at you going, ah, oh, that's my girl. Like, that's my boy. That's my beloved son. So number one, we need to look up instead of looking horizontally or you will, you will be killed in this thing. Here's uh, number two. I would say you'll begin to make young life your God. You'll begin to, and this kind of goes a little bit, number one, but you'll begin to make young life your God in your identity. I don't know where you came, like your background. I, I was, uh, I went to high school, obviously. We all did. Um, but I was a huge, like, sports. And by sports, I mean I was a golfer and uh, loved it. And uh, golf real quickly was my God. I was like, it was my everything. So, like, I, my worth was judging how well I played golf, right? And I thought when I met Jesus, that would go away. And then I gave up golf to do Young Life. Awesome. Like, pat myself on the back. I'm following God. Um, but then Young Life became my God. Right? Like, then it became, like, how many kids are coming to club? How many kids are in my, like, small group? How many times am I at the school? It really quickly became the place I go to get worth, identity, and it was killing me. And so here's some scripture for me that has been so, so good to counteract when, when Young Life starts becoming your God. And I'll be honest, like, I have to confess that at least monthly, right? Like, it's not, I have to confess it every time I'm on Instagram and I see someone's picture of club and you're counting numbers. Like, well, a lot of, I don't have that many, right? Like, that, that can still creep up and you're going, what are we doing? Here's how I counteract that. Uh, Revelation 2.4. But I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you first had. Hey, we got into this because we love Jesus. And we want kids to know that. And it can, Satan just wants to twist it and go like, hey, make young life God. No, follow your first love. Your love is God, all right? Not young life. Young life is a, a tool that we use. My hope is this. If young life, if we just said, guess what? Young life is it's, it's disbanded. We don't have young life anymore. Nothing would change. We'd still go to the high school and go tell people about Jesus. We would just stop putting on our Instagram, you know, that we're a young life leader at so-and-so high school. Right? We would just go. Because that we, that's what we're called to do. Here's another, um, another thing in that. Oh, this is so good. If you get a chance to memorize all of John 15, 1 through 17, you should do it. Uh, Jesus goes and he tells his friends this. Remain in me, John 15, five, uh, John 15, 4 through 5. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Guys, if, we're, if we don't wake up and we're not spending time with the Lord, that is literally our only job. Is to wake up, spend time with the Lord and go, what should I do? 
if we're putting more thought into club than we are in our own relationship with Jesus, shame on us. You know, not real shame because Jesus loves you, but okay, we should stop that. You know what I mean? Like we, we, need, to, we need to start going this way and realizing that our worth is in Christ and all we need to do is just remain and abide in him. Uh, I have a three-year-old and uh, two twins, which is just crazy right now. They're at four months. And so my life's hectic. And, uh, and for Christmas, I made this sweet, like, house for dollhouse. Not dollhouse. It was like, it was like this big. So playhouse, that's what it's called. And I'm really excited for it for my daughter. I couldn't wait. Um, and she just, like, loved the box for the first, like, five hours. And I was like, what the crap are you doing? Like, I'm, this thing's awesome, like, right? Like, yeah, it came with a fake screwdriver that actually worked. It was weird. And, and I was like, this is awesome. Did you want to play in the box? And guys, let's not focus so much on sometimes in young life, we get really prideful. Like, I, I'll, I'll confess, I was in that room hearing those numbers. And I was like, heck yeah, I'm a part of this thing. This is awesome. We do it right. And sometimes in young life, we can get prideful, make it a God, and we get obsessed with the box and not the gift inside the box. The gift is Jesus. That's what we get to give people. Who cares about the ministry? Does that make sense? Like, I, I, love, I love young life. I've the Lord in young life. Let's not be all about the box. Let's be about what's inside the box. Let's stop comparing to other ministries, right? You can sometimes walk in there, and you're like, oh, the FCA's mean. I know those kids. Like, your heart can go to places, and you're going, what are we doing? Right? Like, we're on the same team here. Like, we are about Jesus. So that's one way to counteract that. Um, oh, good. Okay, here we go. Can someone tell me... Okay, what, we're done at 11.30. Like, give me one of these at 11.20. All right, cool. All right. Um, hey, number three. This is a fun one. You will begin to think you're the Savior and not Jesus. This will take you out of the game real quick. You will start thinking, I'm the God. I'm the one to go and save the kids uh, and not Jesus. I remember I was at uh, Timberwolf Lake my first year on staff. And someone read this. I love when someone opens scripture to you and you're like, I've, I thought I've read a lot. I've never read this before. And uh, this was such a great, a great truth. It's, it's 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. Again, this is Paul. Paul wrote books in the Bible, which makes him like a good Christian. You know what I mean? Uh, like he did it. And, uh, and this is what he said to kind of counteract, I think, of I'm not the Savior, Jesus is. 2 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with elegance of human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He's going, that's all I got. All I got is Jesus died for you. He rose from the dead for your sins. Like, that's all I have. And he says, I came to you in weakness with great fear, which probably is a lot of us, right, when we go to high school. My message, this is what I love, verse four, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith may not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. That last thing, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. If you've ever given a club talk, you are like searching for the greatest story or the great analogy, right? Like confession, I, lo- I love this picture. I love doing the cross talk and the sin talk, and I love using the pictures of water, right? And then I put like the iodine, and it's now filthy. And then when Jesus dies for you, you pour bleach in it, and whoo, it now becomes clear. And kids are like, what? That guy's like David Blaine or something. Like, that's crazy. And like, I feel like we need to have like the best analogy. I need to take a, a glass chalkboard, and I need to smash it with a hammer, right? Like, because that's, oh, they're going to get that. And, and don't get me wrong, we need to use imagery. 
Like we need to use that. But I love the simpleness of, of Paul going, listen, the only message I have for you is Jesus died for you. Uh, here's a fun story. In, in 1850, um, there's this high school kid and it was a giant blizzard and he was walking around going, I feel like I need to know who Jesus is. Weird, right? Like, Where's a young life leader for that guy, right? It's 1850. He's walking the streets in a blizzard. He goes down an aisle and goes to this Methodist church. And the pastor's not even at this church because of the blizzard. Like, he didn't make it. And so this, like, elder pastor guy just came up. And, and this is all he said. He read from this one verse in Isaiah and said, look on to Jesus to be saved. Look on to Jesus to be saved. You, boy, look on to Jesus to be saved. Like, that's what he said to the one, like, adolescent kid that was there. Um, that kid's name was Charles Spurgeon, um, who would go on to change the world when it came to loving Jesus and sharing the message. That was all the message that guy, like this, that's not pastor. He's just a random guy. He's like, this is all I know. Jesus, he's the one that you're saved. And that way it's not about your awesome apologetics. Take that burden off you. Sometimes I had some friends like, I can't be a young life leader because I don't know as much as my young life leader did. Newsflash, they didn't know anything, right? Like they probably Googled something or they went to somebody else like we all do and go, I don't know what I'm doing here, right? Like he asked me about predestination and I'm like, what do I tell him, right? Like I remember being a sophomore and a kid asked me that and I was like, I don't know what that means. And I, I read it and I was like, oh crap. Now my whole world's turned upside down, right? Like how do I talk to him? Freedom, point kids to Jesus and be okay with saying, I don't know because you're not the savior. Take that off you. Um, here's a, number four. We believe that if we're not loud, funny, extrovert, or give great club talks, we don't have a role in young life. Do you know in young life staff, 85%, where the stat came from, I don't know, but 85% are introverts. Doesn't surprise you? Like, we love to glorify the funny people, and, and that's not bad, but we, we feel like if you're quiet and you're an introvert and, like, you're not the one that feels like they need to be on stage, that you don't have a role in young life. Dumb. That's so dumb. Here's why it's dumb. Here's the truth to counteract that. Truth number one, verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 14. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 14. Being just as, the, um, being just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its parts from one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we are all given the one spirit to drink. And so the body is not made of, up of one part, but of many. Right? Like the picture is this, like the right hand can't be the left hand. And you're going to kill yourself if you're going, I just need to be like him. Brendan Manning, if you ever get to read a book by Brendan Manning, just read it. Like it's so wise. And he had this quote. I don't know where this quote came from. Sometimes these things are just in my brain and I just throw them out there. But uh, he said this, he was talking about this rabbi, and this rabbi said this, he goes, um, you know, when you die and go to heaven, God's not going to ask you, why weren't you Moses? Hey, why weren't you Joshua? Hey, why weren't you David? He's just going to say, why weren't you Brennan? That's who I created you to be. You're going to feel the pressure to be like your leader or be like someone you love in young life. And I, I'm telling you, I'm begging you. God has gifted you specifically to be in the school that you're at, to reach the kids you're reaching. No one can do and be you. Only you can be. So don't try to be somebody else. 
And that's hard because you're still trying to learn that. I will say this. My wife, Allie, she's in charge of Young Lives. or She, in charge, she helps lead Young Lives, but for our region. Um, she's not the one that's going to come up front and be like, all right, like, let's go do this. Like, that's me. I'm the husband. I do that for some reason. Um, if I didn't have her, I'd be dead. And I'll say this. She's the most gifted female in Young Life staff. Now I'm her husband. I'll, I'll be biased. No, I promise you. Like, she's the most gifted human on Young Life staff that I know. Like, we, we were from Beaufort, South Carolina originally. Like, that place wouldn't exist if it wasn't for her. Like, the, her faithfulness beats anybody else. If, and, and she constantly has this fear of, like, do I belong here? I'm not on stage. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you are, the, you, you are exactly who God created you to be, and kids know Jesus because of you. So be you. All right? Um, here's a... You know, you guys have heard this, this phrase probably, like, hey, God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. Right? Like, God, obviously, he, Jesus didn't look at the disciples and go, all right, fisherman, tax collector, a couple prostitutes here. All right, this is great. This, this is who I want. No. He went to people and he called them and said, are you willing to follow me? And they said, yes. He goes, great, we're going this way. Come with me. Right? Peter was like a bumbling, you know, idiot. And God used him in unbelievable ways. And so uh, here's, uh, here's number five for us. Oh, man. I just look at this. I'm not confessing something here. Hey, you'll begin to read the Bible for your next campaigners, club, leadership, and you won't just read it for yourself. You'll get in the temptation of, like, you're always reading for your next club talk or you're always reading for your next, like, hang out with some girls or you're always thinking of your next friend as you're reading this. And, and we become, like, Someone once said it, like, spiritual, like, bulimic. Like, we eat it real quick and we throw it up on somebody. We don't let time to digest and, like, really, really do something in us. We're just like, oh, I heard this message from Matt Chandler. Blah. That applies to your life, right? Oh, I heard this thing from Judah Smith. That was awesome. Blah. There you go. It, it, it's not, it doesn't sit with us. We're always thinking how we're going to give that out. Now, those are great things. We should listen. And I love podcasts. But it's nothing's more important than reading Jesus and spending time with him. Here's a whole lot of scripture I'm just going to throw out there just so you can see what Jesus did. Mark 1, 35. Early in the morning, Jesus went up and got up early and prayed. All right, this is like the God of the universe and he needs to do a quiet time in the morning. I'm telling you, like, that is so important. Like, you, we never forget to brush our teeth in the morning, usually. And uh, I would say, why do we think the same? Like, why do we think any different than spending time with the Lord? Like, even if it's five minutes, it's, five minutes is better than anything else you do the rest of the day. I always say, like, I hate giving Alex to people because Alex sucks. I want to give Jesus. And when I spend time and I rest in him, like, I have, I'm able to give people Jesus and not me. But sometimes I do ministry and I'm just burnt out because I don't spend any time with the Lord and I'm just going to kids and I'm starting to think, like, I'm the Savior. Why aren't they coming? Right? Like, shame on me. Uh, Joshua 1a, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night and observe um, to do everything according that's written in it. For, when, uh, for then you shall make your ways prosperous and you shall have good success. How do you like to be Joshua? Um, Moses just died. He wrote five books in the, you know, the Old Testament. And now Joshua's the, in charge. Of the, he's called to go lead everybody. Terrifying. I love that God gives him this call and he says, hey, I command you, be strong and courageous because we're all wimps. And then he says, meditate on this book. Like, never go away from knowing this book. 
it's not a secret to success. It's how we remain and know who he is. And that's how we give people Jesus. Now, Job 23, 12. I have not departed from you the commandments of, of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than, the, um, more than my portion of food. I love that. He goes, hey, like, more than I'm starving right now, I need your word. Like, I need it. I had a good friend. She's a, she was a leader with me at Blythe. I'm in Columbia, South Carolina. And she, she told me this, and I loved it. She just got back um, from taking a little bit of a break. And uh, she said, Alex, I just realized that sometimes I just made myself do quiet times because that's, like, what you do as a Christian. And she said, I'm now at the point that if I don't do it, I don't like who I am. She said, I just, I need to do it. It's not legalistic, right? Like, God doesn't love you more if you hit seven out of seven days. Right? We know that. Oh, but the way it changes you. And you get to give kids Jesus. Uh, let's go. John six thirty five. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Again, pointing us back to it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Look unto Jesus to be saved. Second Timothy three sixteen. All scriptures God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training up in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped to do every good work. Again, I hope you hear like. Don't go spend time with the Lord for your next talk. That's what Satan's going to do. That's what temptation's going to come and tell you that. Throw that out. Like, no, I I need this just for me. Maybe down the road you use that for somebody else one day, but you need that just for you. Uh, Here's a good one. Man, this is a, a, a circled one, star one for me. You begin to believe the lie, number six, if you're, if, you, if you're numbering stuff. You begin to believe the lie that success determines you as a leader and not your faithfulness. You will look around and you really quick, like why you want to quit is you're like, they got 10 kids in their, in their discipleship group and I don't have one. And you think it's all about your success. Finish this sentence for me. If you guys know this part of the scripture, well done, good and why do we keep thinking it says successful? Like we know it says well done, good and faithful, but we in our heart believe, oh, well done, good and successful servant. I mean, if you wonder where that is, Matthew 25, 23, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. God works, um, here, here's, here's a good thought. If you ever heard this, maybe Young Life wasn't created for you to go reach high schoolers. Maybe it was created so he could go and do something in you. Right? Like the end process is, we think God's in the end game. Like God's in the end game. I'll tell you this, God works through the process of you loving and knowing who he is. You doing little steps of faithfulness over time is him directing and changing your heart in ways that 20, 30, 40 years from now that you're loving Jesus and doing the same thing. How many of you guys know people who've just been completely burnt out by the ministry and are just like not following Jesus at all anymore. I know a ton. I know people in Young Life staff like that. Why? Because somewhere around that they heard, well done, good and successful, and they weren't successful, and it killed them. It's us being faithful in the little will be faithful in the big. Um, here, uh, number, number seven. Number seven. You will hide in your sin because you believe only perfect people can serve his kingdom. Gosh, if you're not in a real good like community of fellowship where you feel like you can confess sin, here's the biggest thing that's going to kill you, secrets. You're only as free as your secrets you keep. 
right? Like so many of us go, we think like, oh, now I'm following Jesus. All that sin struggle I had when I was in high school, that's just going to go away. Nope. (laughs) Like comes right back with you, right? And you go, oh my gosh, like I'm the worst at this. And then you're like, well, now I can't tell anybody because I'm like a professional at it, right? And you're like, so I'm just not going to tell anybody. I'm just going to work harder and not do it ever again. Fast forward a week, two weeks, maybe 30 minutes, and you do it again. You're like, crap. All right, now I'm really going to work. I'm going to work even harder now. And you just stop telling people. And then you just feel awful every single time you go into leadership and you feel like, you know, you're, you're, someone's leading it and you feel like they're talking to you because you're, you're, you're hidden in sin in your life. Here's the crazy thing about that. Like, let's just think about this. The doctrine of our faith, like what we believe, what does it say about us? Like, why did God had to come die for us? What did you say? Because we were what? Sinners, right? Like, and we know that doesn't go away. So our whole like belief system is on, I'm a screw up. God had to come die for me. And then I become a Christian. I'm like, no, I'm not screwed up. Ooh, like, I'm good. Like, uh, you confess, hopefully you confess daily how much you screw up. Why then do I feel like I can't tell people that? Like, that's ridiculous. Satan's going to be like, hide, hide. Dude, you're a fraud. Of course I'm a fraud. Like, of course I am. Here's a great hymn. Um, my daughter, uh, Charlie Grace, we gave her a, a Before the Throne of God is this awesome hymn. And anytime you get attacked with someone saying, hey, when, when Satan tells you, hey, you, you suck, like you're terrible at this, and you feel like you, you need to hide, Here's a great song that you just need to quote to him. And uh, before the throne of God, he goes like this. Um, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there, the lamb who took away my sin. It is the best. Like, if you hear it, he kind of goes, when Satan tells you, like, hey, you're a screw up, your response is, mm-hmm, no, totally. Take it up with that guy. He's the one who paid for it. Like, <laughs> I don't know. You know, like, it's kind of like if you ever watch Dumb and Dumber, and he's like, uh, Seabass is going to pay for our stuff over there. He's like, who? You know, Seabass over there. Like, this guy's doing this. Like, he paid for it. That, I don't know if anyone watched Dumb and Dumber anymore. Um, but the point of, like, Jesus paid for it already. And we keep trying to earn it or act like we get a hide. I'm telling you, don't. Confess it. Live in freedom. I'll tell you this. is crazy. Your Young Life staff, complete wicked sinners. Like, that's the truth. I mean, here, here's, uh, again, Paul wrote books in the Bible. I'm just going to keep saying that. Here's him, 1 Timothy 1.15. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Now hear this, of who I am the worst. It's not who I was the worst. It's not like, yeah, man, I used to like do all this stuff. But then I met Jesus and I'm, I'm done with that. Paul's like, hey, I'm the worst sinner. Like I'm, I, he literally wrote that in the Bible. I'm the worst sinner. Like, I don't know how you're allowed to do that exactly, right? But he's saying, I'm the worst, and Jesus came to save me. We're just, someone said this, when it comes to ministry, it's just one beggar telling another beggar where the food's at, right? Like, it's just me going, okay, I've eaten my fill because I found out where the food's at. Hey, buddy, come follow me. Let me just show you where the food's at. It's not me going, like, I got my crap together. I know, I know. I'm a young life leader. I got a sticker. Like, I know, Right? No, it's dumb. You're going, oh, man, I'm terrible at this. Come follow me. I'm going to show you the bread of life in this. Uh, I mean, if you just want to look at it real quick, I'll just throw examples. Peter, he was good. He denied Jesus three times. Paul partaked in killing Christians. 
Um, King David had an affair, then killed the husband to cover up. That's not good. Uh, Moses murdered a man. Um, Tamar dressed up as a prostitute to sleep with her father-in-law, Judah, to have sex with him and get pregnant. And those descendants are in Jesus' line. Um, Jonah was told to go to Nineveh, and he said, nope. And then he got in a boat, and uh, he got eaten by a whale. And, uh, and um, if you ever read the Jesus Storybook Bible, which, oh my gosh, it's like, it's like my devotional. You know, I'm reading it to my daughter, but I'm, I'm getting everything out of it. And uh, it says, uh, there's a sign that says Nineveh, and then a sign going this way that says, not Nineveh. And he says, I want a one-way ticket to not Nineveh, please. So funny. But here's the thing, right? Like, don't hide in your sin. Confess it. Like, we're broken people who need Jesus. Like, let's believe the message we tell high schoolers about. Um, all right, here's uh, number, number eight. How are we doing on time? Good? Okay, cool. Uh, number eight. <laughs> you begin to see fellowship as comparing and not encouraging. Oh, I hate this. You, you begin to see fellowship with your, your fellow leaders. You just begin comparing. You ask questions like, hey, how's club going? And you kind of secretly sometimes go like, I hope it's not going as good as mine. Sometimes that happens. I'm just going to confess that, that. Get that out of there. Or sometimes like it blows up and you want to be excited for them, but then you feel like yours isn't blowing up. And we just play comparison like crazy. Um, here's just some thoughts on, on that. Here's some truth that we just need to know. Because if, if, our, if our fellowship, if your leadership existed like this, it would change everything. If your team existed like this, I'm telling you, high schoolers will run to be a part of it. Your minute, like your team's health is a direct correlation to your ministry, right? Like how many of us have been with our parents and they're fighting and bickering and they act like we don't know what's happening? Man, if your teammates and you're doing that and you're trying to cover it up so your like high school kids don't see, they see. Encouraged by this. Matthew, or Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, or 24 through 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting with one another as some are in the custom of doing, but encouraging one another all the day more as the day approaches. Like, what if like your whole job, when you go and meet with one of your leaders, you're just thinking, Lord, how can I encourage them today? Like, what's one thing I can give them? What is something I can go like, hey, I just feel like this might be from the Lord and be praying. Like, I don't know if you've done this. This is super fun. By remaining in Jesus, like when you're in conversations, like Jesus is here with us right now. Like that crap's real, right? Like we read about that and like, oh yeah, Holy Spirit, you're here. And then we forget about it. No, like he's in this room. And when you're meeting with a high schooler, he's at the, you know, he's at the Starbucks with you. Or he's at like the La Hacienda with you. Wherever you go, he's at that place with you, right? Like, and ask God, like, hey, what do you want me to say here? Anything? So I'm going to give you room to kind of say that. And then it becomes super fun when you do that and, and you feel like you hear something and then you tell them. And they go, man, thanks. And you can tell like the Lord was in that. It's awesome. Ask God, like, what, what, do I, what, what do you want me to say right now? Right, like don't go in there with a script all the time. Um, John 21, 22 through, uh, sorry, John 21, 21 through 22. There's just a lot of 20s in that. Uh, this is funny. Peter again. Uh, when Peter saw him, Jesus, he asked, Lord, what about John? And Jesus answered him, if, uh, what, if I want him to remain until I'm alive, what is that to you? You must follow me. Here's why I just put that, that, that one in there. 
uh, sometimes we go, wow, what about that guy? Like, Lord, why is everything going well with his ministry and not mine? Like, what, what about him? Like, or what about her? Or, or why is this going like this? And I love that Jesus' response to Peter. And Peter's like, hey, what about John? Everything's going well for John. And he goes, what is it to you? You're not John. You're Peter. That's who I asked you to be. Come follow me. Like, let's stop, let's stop that game. Stop comparing to other people. Like, God has you exactly where he wants Another example is this. Hey, God doesn't drive an ambulance, right? What I mean by that is it's not like you screw up and God's like, holy crap. Okay, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, let's get together. Let's make a plan. He wasn't supposed to be placed at that school. We really botched this one. Okay, oh, that wasn't supposed to happen. What should we do? Right? That doesn't make any sense. He's sovereign over everything. Let that rest in you. All right, wherever kids you are meeting, that's exactly the pocket of God's calling you to be. All right, so... If you could change your leadership, you can change your team, just asking them, like, hey, like, maybe you start your team meetings by going, hey, what's this a word we can say to each, each one of us? Like, what's this one thing we can encourage each other on today? That will make you fight for each other versus you constantly belittling. I'll say this, in sarcasm, sarcasm literally means flesh ripper, end it. Like, no one takes sarcasm as like, oh, yeah, like, like guys are the worst at it because um, we just don't know how to communicate to each other. So we'll be like, oh, what up, jerk face? And uh, what I mean by that is like, hey, what's up, man? How you doing? But I don't know how to say it, so I say it that way. You know what I mean? Like, we're just terrible at it sometimes. At least, okay, my, the guys I hang out with, like, that's what it was. Sarcasm, like, like if, you're a, if you're a team leader and you're like, hey, guys, how are we feeling? And, like, some guy just responds with sarcasm. Like, you're just like, thanks, man. That, that really uplifted everybody. Jesus never did that. End it. Throw sarcasm out the window. Encourage one another. It will change everything. Don't let Satan get in between you. Um, all right, number, number nine. Here we go, the, the last, last two. Number nine, you will begin to talk about kids. Uh, uh, sorry, you will begin to talk to kids about God more than you'll talk to God about kids. Let me say that again. I know that can kind of get tricky. You'll begin to talk to kids about God more than you're talking to God about kids. Here's a haunting thing. If God looked at you and said, I'm just going to give you everything you prayed for last week, what would look different at the high school? I know I heard that, and that was a sobering, sobering thought to me. Here's a more sobering thought to me that happened this past, um, this past month. Anybody seen The Sandlot? Everyone watched The Sandlot, right? If not, I'm going to give you a little background. There's a great passage in Scripture that says, um, if, you, uh, if you knock, the door will be answered for you. And God, it's in Matthew, and he's kind of going and saying, hey, if you just come to me and ask me, like, I'll open. I, I, I want to give you things. Like, I'm not this evil God. Like, you know, he says, like, what good father, if you ask for a gift, he gives you a scorpion. Which is a weird analogy. But like, he says, if you're good and give good, if you're evil and give good gifts, how much more does the father want to do this? Here's the picture of the sandlot that God has just haunted me and I want to be a good haunting for you. Um, so like they lose the ball, right? They lose the ball signed by Babe Ruth. It's now over with the beast and the dog's trying to kill them constantly. And they think of literally everything imaginable to get that ball back. Like everything. What's the one thing they never thought to do? knock on the door. And there's the scene, right, that happens where the movie's over, they finally got the ball back, the fence is down, everyone's exhausted. Like, they're like, I'm just so done with life. And uh, Squints, I think it is, is the guy they call out, um, James Earl Jones. 
God bless him. His voice is just amazing. And uh, he just said, if you would have knocked, I would have got the ball for you. And that point they're like, oh, squints. And they just start punching him. And, uh, and then, gosh, here's the thing that, that God has hit me with. Alex, if you just would have asked, I would have given that to you. I'll be darned if I go to heaven and I find out there's a list of people that I could have been praying for or a list of things that God is going and saying, I would have given that for you if you just want to ask. Why don't we ask? It's not up to me. Like, I, I get it. I'm not telling us to be prosperity gospel. I'm not saying go ask for a Ferrari or do it. I don't care. He's God. He's sovereign. Guess what? Like, he'll make it not happen. Right? How many, like, again, like, I'm a, God's not a genie. He's a good father. My daughter will be like, Dad, for cereal, I want, <laughs> she wanted, um, oh, uh, Tootsie Rolls. She's like, God, can I have Tootsie Rolls for cereal? No. Right? Like, just a whole bunch of Tootsie Rolls. I'm just going to eat them up. I'm a good father, and I know that's a crazy request. And I go, I love you. It will ruin your day. Like, <laughs> you will hate life right now. Why don't we think there's like this awesome like valve that when we pray to things, God will go, hey, I love you. That's so cute, honey. I'm not going to give you that because you don't really want that. Like, do you want a tummy ache? No. Okay, I'm not going to give you this, right? Ask God for things. Like, annoy God for things. He literally tells us like, oh, you want to know what prayer's like? It's like the woman who came over to my house and was like, I'm hungry and I need to get food for my people and, and I don't have any food. And the guy goes, what do you want with me? And he goes, you have food, give it to me. Like, no, go away. He's like, I'm just gonna keep coming back and annoying you. Sometimes God just likes that. Like, have you ever just prayed for a kid, like ruthlessly prayed for a kid? And you're like, Lord, save him, save him, save him. And then like, you know, it's not the say so, but maybe he's had Chick-fil-A and he's like, man, I, I just, I, I want what you have. And you're like, oh my gosh, it works. Like prayer works. It's like crazy. Like he tells us to do it and it works. Um, be haunted by the fact that you don't want to go to heaven one day. And he goes, you just would have asked, I would have given it to you. We don't pray about the ministry or we don't pray about the work. Here's another great quote. I think I heard from John Vickery. We don't pray about the work. Um, prayer is the work, right? We don't pray about ministry. Prayer is the ministry. That's what we do. Go read old stories of Jim Rayburn, just on his knees praying for nights and nights. He'd get all the staff and he'll go, all right, we're just going to pray all week. And you're like, oh, what does that mean? It means they prayed all week. Maybe they went and played volleyball for an hour, and then they pray for like eight hours. Like that's the way this ministry is built. And sometimes we're like, oh, we're going to pray for club. Everyone hold hands for five minutes before we go and tell the greatest news of all time. No. Why don't we get there early enough? And we're like, let's just pray for 20, 30 minutes and ask God to save kids. Kids meet Jesus at club, and we think it's only at summer camp. Crazy. Um, all right, last one. Drum roll. Last one. Here we go. Uh, you will begin to forget who you are, that you are the beloved son and daughter of a king. The one thing Jesus is tempted with it was his identity. If you are the son of God, command this to happen. Satan is going to constantly come after who you are. And again, here's another James Earl Jones moment. Now that I watch Disney movies, like all the time, uh, watching Lion King as an adult has a whole different appeal on you now. Uh, you just cry randomly sometimes, and you don't know why. And this was the moment that I remember sitting with my three-year-old Addie Mae, and she's still trying to be like, why did Mufasa die? And I was like, I don't, I don't want to explain that to you. Like, why did Scar push Mufasa? I was like, I don't know. I mean, I know, but you won't know. And, 
And then this scene happens where Simba is now grown up. He's left, you know, the Pride Lands. And uh, he meets Rafiki, you know, the little monkey. And, uh, and he hits him in the head with a little stick. And he goes, follow me. I know your father. He's alive. And he goes, he's not alive. He goes, yes, he is. And then they run through the forest. And he gets to this pool, this puddle. And uh, he's like, man, that's just my reflection. He goes, <laughs> look harder. And, uh, and he looks harder. And then, I mean, it's like Mark 1 when Jesus called the beloved son happy. All of a sudden, the clouds part, Mufasa's voice is in the clouds, and he goes, Simba, you have forgotten me. And he's like, Dad, no, I haven't. Like, I haven't forgotten you. And he goes, you've forgotten who you are, and therefore you've forgotten me. <laughs> and then he says, remember. Remember who you are. My daughter's like, what's wrong with my dad? I'm like, <laughs> I've forgotten you. <laughs> like, um, Mark 1.11, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You know, he told that to Jesus before he did anything. He didn't like go make disciples at that point. He didn't go to the school and have hundreds of kids going to club. He said that before anything happened. You need to know that God looks down at you and he says, I don't just call you beloved. I'm pleased with you. <laughs> not because of anything you've done. Another fun thing we started doing in our house is I say, Addie Mae, I need you to put this in your heart. So I'm gonna throw it to you and you're gonna catch it and put it in your heart. And she goes, and then she goes, she does this. I was like, what is that? And she goes, Dad, I can't hold it here forever. I need to eat it. And I was like, okay, whatever. Um, but I, I told her this, we'll sit down and go, I was like, Addie Mae, do you know what daddy's proud of you for? And we'll do this at, at nighttime all, all the time. And she goes, she just loves it. She goes, what are you proud of me for? Like, I love that you were obedient in class. Like, you, you got a gold star. Like, that is awesome. And then, like, you know what I was happy? Like, you didn't bite anybody today. That was awesome, right? It's the little steps. But then I say, do you know what I'm most proud of you for? And her eyes get real big. I say, because you're my daughter. That's what I'm most proud of you for. All the other stuff is, like, cool, I guess. This is the most. And I go, take that, eat it, and put it in your heart. And remember... <laughs> That when God looks at you, he's saying, you are my beloved son. You're my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. Tattoo that somewhere on you, right? It's a good one. Or Luke, Luke 3, 22 is the same verse. That would be a little, you know, go get that tattoo. It's worth it, all right? Um, hey, I'm gonna close in prayer and here's what I want you to do. I want you to take one minute because I just, I just vomited a lot of stuff on you um, and I want you to circle what's one thing and then we're gonna, I'm going to say, hey, will you guys be okay just to share a little bit to go, hey, what's the one thing that stood out to you? It's just cool for you guys to hear that, to go, oh, I forgot that. I didn't write that down. That was a good thing. All right? Let me pray, and then I'll give you 30 seconds, and then we'll just kind of popcorn just a little bit before we end. All right? Hey, Jesus, you are good, and we love you. Thank you that you were a God who became flesh and were tempted just like we are, and that you were tempted in your identity. You were tempted in your significance. You were tempted in your belonging. So that when we are tempted uh, about who we are, we can come to you and we can look at scripture and realize that we are the beloved sons and daughters of the king. Lord, I pray, I, I, I beg you that if I said anything that wasn't from you, that no one wrote it down and no one will remember it. But what is from you, I pray, that we will love on and know for eternity. And it will be in our hearts and it will own us. We love you and pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of the Young Life Midlands Podcast. If you enjoyed it, 
hit subscribe, and we'll have more good content coming your way.